Yeah, yeah. Kia ora to all of those who are watching online this morning with us. It's wonderful to have you uh, in the room, in the, in the digital space, and um, super encouraged, actually, in the last couple of weeks of all the comments uh, that have been made online. And so we just want to encourage you, reach out, say hi to us today. We'd love to connect with you, and we hope you're enjoying the service today. And to all those uh, fathers in the house today, uh, a happy Father's Day to you from me as well. And also just want to acknowledge those fathers who um, may have, you know, disconnection with their children and, and maybe that's uh, physically, uh, maybe they live in another part of uh, New Zealand or the world or whether that's actually emotionally and, and you have disconnection. And so our prayer for you today is that you would uh, be reconciled, that you would know great connection with your family and your children and I don't know if we've done this already, but let's put our hands together for all the dads uh, and uh, spiritual fathers as well. There are so many amazing spiritual uh, parents as well, uh, mothers and fathers really, but just for those who just keep on stepping up and looking out to others, uh, being a blessing to others, just a big massive thanks for, for that in, uh, in the context of our of our church family. You know, we need, we need dads. We need men. We need you. <laughs> Other people need you. Sons, yet to be sons, need you. Daughters need you. Fathers, you are significant in the house of God. And you know, um, if a dad comes to church, the, the likelihood of the rest of the family following is, is, is far greater, and I'm sorry to say this, than of the, the wife that would come to church and try to bring her children to church. But Men, you have a key influential role in your family. Uh, so I want to honor that. And may you, may you actually not defer that. May you embrace that. May you be strong and courageous. You know, as we prayed this morning, may your life be a hallmark of courage for the King of Kings. So I could go down that track. But I'm gonna, actually, I've got a word today that I really want to bring. Uh, this is our our second week in Identity uh, identity Crisis uh, series, and we can kind of look around our world and our neighborhood and think, my gosh, there is an identity crisis. So I want to just start with this beautiful um, proverb, actually, from Proverbs 24, and uh, verses 3 and 4. It says, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it's established, and through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare Rare and beautiful treasures. Now, this um, this is a, we've got a little example of a house that's been built here uh, this morning, just for a reference point. But you know, this this um, beautiful uh, proverb wasn't written for those in the building trade necessarily. Uh, it's probably some great principles in that. Uh, this wasn't on how to build a house 2,000 years before Christ, or however long he lived. It's probably only about 800 years anyway. This, this beautiful, this is an amazing wisdom poem from the book of Proverbs. And it invites us and shows us the expression of God's kingdom is, is actually likened to an environment that develops and progresses. You know, if you could think of an empty section, an empty house, maybe an, an empty spot next to you where something's going to be. Uh, and God looks at that space and, and, and He looks at those spaces in our lives and He's like, man, there's a deficit there. And His kingdom 
is not just a, oh, I'm saved and I've got a ticket into heaven kind of kingdom. He actually wants to reveal this beautiful uh, expression of his love in every absent place in our lives, the treasures of his kingdom within every room of our heart, within every space of our life. And so the, the real essence of this message I have today is that will you invite the, the King of Kings into the different aspects and dimensions of your life that you may have had the doors closed to? Because the touch of His hand is, is, and the presence of Jesus in our lives is not to restrict us from becoming, you know, something and an expression of fun and joy. And it's not like, oh, once I have God in my life, everything's just going to become really serious and boring. It's like, actually, no, when we have God in our lives, man, the expression of life is amazing. I'm getting so far ahead of myself in my message today here. So I want to just, you know, you just imagine yourself as this doll's house this morning, uh, perhaps. Uh, and 1 Corinthians 3 says this, uh, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid. And then it goes on to say that if um, anyone builds on that foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, or hay, that, hey, whatever you build on that foundation with, one day that's going to come to the light of day. One day, it's actually, the Bible goes on to say, it's going to be tested by fire. And it says, hey, you will escape, but it's going to be, you're going to be singed. <laughs> so I, I know the, the Word of God and the presence of God and the grace of Jesus actually draws us to build a life that is really in the DNA of heaven that is with the costly stones that may cost you something, but actually reveal who you are and who He is in the process to the world around you. And last week I touched on this verse that, you know, that we are created in the image of God. It says this in Genesis 1. And when you think about being created in an image, it kind of feels a bit static, doesn't it? It's like, oh, am I just, what's, what's, what is that? What is the image of God mean and we need to remember what Jesus actually said as he opened up you know his his life was an expression of what the image of God looks like he said even if you have seen me you've seen the father so if you think about you becoming an image bearer of God then actually you are looking to become someone who carries the father heart and the mother heart of God you're, you're someone who is living and breathing to bring life and influence and joy and community, creating community, being a part of community. And so being an image bearer of God actually reveals the nature of God and the goodness of God in our lives. And if you want to find out a little bit more, you didn't hear my message last Sunday, I want to encourage you to, to dial back into that. Um, and I hope that'll be a real encouragement to you that was called Finding the Father's Voice. And then next week, Deb's actually going to open up a little bit more around what it means to be created in the image of God. So as Christians, so I'm speaking to Christians here. If you're not a Christian in the room, that's cool. Welcome. You're so, so good to have you. We hope you feel like you're belonging this morning. But uh, I'm speaking to Christians in this moment. You know, we like, it'd be easy for us to say, like, we want to become more like Jesus. We want to be more Christ-like. But let me, let me call this out, that our culture is actually trying to form us too. 
the, the Word of God and, and the power of the Holy Ghost, you know, has given everything that we need to actually, uh, to, uh, for a secure and legitimate identity. So it's super important to know who we are in Christ so that the culture doesn't have the ultimate pull on our hearts. So just coming back to this identity, if you weren't here last week, it just simply means who I am. Who I am. And yeah, you know, we can look, we can look so many places for trying to figure out who we are. We can look into the inner, our inner self and go like, I really need to find, I need a, a deep dive into my inner world. You can look outwards around the world and look to others in your search for significance. You know how, if I'm, you know, if I'm connected with those people, then I will, I'll find who I really am. I want to remind someone here today, though, that the Bible says, look up. <laughs> look up first for your identity. Look up to find your identity in Jesus Christ. Don't look to what's happening in culture first. Don't just go deeper into yourself, but look to God for revelation. Psalm 139 says this, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I want to propose to you that he knows you better than you know you. And your identity, although it is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, your identity is also connected to your uniqueness. This is how you think. And these, these can be like different rooms in the life of, you know, of, your, of your heart, how you think. It's connected to your history, to relationships, to your, to your spiritual call, mantle, authority, to your body, to your actions and commitments, to, you know, to the boundaries that you put around your life and to change the progress of your life. Your identity is actually all mixed in to different aspects of these different rooms of your heart. And so... Let's just invite Jesus into those rooms. If he's standing at the door, knocking today, let him in. And I'm going to finish my message actually just breaking open if I get time to those different rooms in our heart today. And this next part actually, I've just got a few ideas that have contributed to this message. And I just want to acknowledge Tim Keller um, in a book, Making Sense of God. Tim Keller is an amazing theologian who passed away earlier this year. Cole Truman, he's written a book called Strange New World that I'm reading at the moment as well. And Pastor Taryn Williams from Signal Church in Cape Town as well. I've just been doing some research. Um, and these guys have fed into this next part that I want to share. Um, in the Western world, we've moved from traditional identity to modern identity. And this is essentially the way that we discover who we are. So basically, traditional identity says, look outwards to find your identity. While modern identity says, look inward, look inward into yourself for your identity. Now, this message is not a pro-traditional identity message or a pro uh, modern identity message. I just this is we're just making a distinction between the differences here. All right. So the modern identity shift it happened in about three stages. This is hundreds of years ago. Number one, Enlightenment philosophers. These guys they said there is truth. It is there. There is goodness. 
It is absolute, but to find it, you mustn't look to your family tree, to your religion, or to the king. You must look inward to your reason, and we get rationalism from this. It was a massive change that you could think independently from the country or state that you are in, the religion that you're a part of. Look into your brain to find out who you are, and the French Revolution and the American Revolution were almost direct results from this uh, Enlightenment thinking. And uh, in 1784, this German philosopher, Immanuel Kant, he summed up this era's motto with, dare to know, have courage to use your own re reason. The next phase is romanticism. This happened in the 1700s and the 1800s, and these guys said that there is goodness, there is truth. But to find it, you've got to look inward, not to your head or to your reason. Look to your heart. And, and self-expression is the way to find your identity. I think I had some pictures up there for those slides, but maybe they didn't make it. The third stage in the last 100 years, and especially the last few decades, we have landed in this postmodern era. And, you know, it says there is no absolute truth out there. There is no goodness out there. And things can be explained by natural causes. Postmodernism says that those who make claims or beliefs about something to be an absolute truth is making an attempt to exert power over another person. Trust no one. Complete skepticism. Let's just keep looking inward to the heart. And you can create your own goodness, your own truth. You decide what is good. You validate yourself. In traditional identity, duties are crucial. Traditional identities state your duties speak of who you are. You are your commitments. You are your faithfulness. You are your allegiance. In modern identity, desires are central. In the traditional worldview, there were ultimate forms of honor. You know, for males, it was to die in battle. For females, it was to have children. And in both cases, you sacrifice yourself for your tribe, for the greater good. You find out what your duties are, they're given to you, and you do them, and this is an ordered society. But in a modern society, we find our identity by looking to our desires. In traditional identity, you take your place in the order of things. In modern identity, you create you by going inside of yourself. In traditional identity, others validate you. In modern identity, you validate yourself. In traditional identity, I make demands on myself to enact my identity. In modern identity, I make demands on others to accept my identity. It's pretty profound, some of this stuff, isn't it? It's great to just get it in a context. In traditional identity, your expectations are on yourself. I need to be a warrior. So you confront your fears and enact your identity. In modern culture, you place your expectations on others declaring, you may not like this, but this is who I am. You must recognize me, and this is an attempt to make society adjust to you. Every culture 
without necessarily asking anybody, imposes an identity process. And that is the sense of self and of who the culture wants you to be. And it's important to note that we get the word cult from culture. And it's not like we've had our culture all explained to us um, either. We develop within our own, own culture. And I was um, in year 12, we'd say now, sixth form. Um, I did year, I, I did uh, photography. And we would, um, you know, get a, get a film. We would then go to the developing room. And traditionally, photos would be put in a developing solution. And you would stand, and because this image that you couldn't see yet was in a special solution, the image would come to life because of the chemicals. And it's a little bit like us when we are dipped into the environment that we've grown up in. We actually are imprinted on by the culture that surrounds us. And in modern culture, uh, we are uh, immersed in the stories that tell us the same thing over and over again. And you look at the major movie producers like Disney, Pixar, and Marvel, and the same story keeps on repeating itself over and over. And the story is something like that. If you're a witch, a wizard, or a superhero, and you don't practice it, if you repress it, it's a disaster. It's an identi identity crisis for you to repress, you know, your witch or wizard self, and you think of Elsa from Frozen. Check out these lyrics from Let It Go. You know when I say that, Elsa from Frozen? You're all thinking that song, right? And you're like, that's a nice song. <laughs> Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, do you want to come and sing it? I actually don't. I only know the one bit. <laughs> okay. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. I'm doing a Liam. Uh, let it go. <laughs> I'm just in the culture, and he's modeling it to me, so I can't help it. Um, <laughs> Liam, you're beautiful. Sorry, if you need to talk to me, and I need to apologize after the service, uh, you could turn away and slam the door. Uh, don't care what they're going to say. I'll turn away, turn away the other cheek. Okay, yeah. And this is it, though. And the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits, to break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. You know. What was that? Oh, I look like Josiah. No, he looks like me. Uh, that's the problem. Uh, <laughs> so here we are in 2023. And I want to give you four problems with modern identity now. Number one. We cannot validate ourselves. A child first finds its identity looking into the eyes of another, of its parents, of its mother. We're social beings. You cannot validate yourself on your own for long. If that was essentially true, and if that worked, why would we need to become activists to insist that other people agree with us about who we are? It's a really fragile self. Number two, the pressure to be unique to be a unique 
one-of-a-kind awesome is crushing. Traditional identities were about fitting in. Modern identity is about standing out. You have to be brilliant. You have to be beautiful. You have to just kind of like have all the latest and, and others have to like, you know, affirm who you are. And, it, and if you're not making it, it leads to this a spark in anxiety and depression because there is this pressure to become this awesome self, this awesome you, this unique you. Number three, society tears um, apart when self-expression is above service. That's a big one. There's, you know, in church, we even there's not really any such thing as covenant relationships anymore. You know, now it's never forsake your own happiness for your family or your church or whatever. When self is more important than relationships, social ties and institutions erode, marriages and families weaken, social uh, society fragments into warring fractions. The fourth problem with modern identity. Society arbitrarily, I can't say that word, arbitrarily, thank you, willy-nilly, demands, (laughs) I like that way better, willy-nilly society willy-nilly demands which desires to attach identity to today's society says a primary clue to finding out who you really are is to look at your sexual desires and for a millennia now in scripture and in ancient philosophies sex was something you did now sex is the biggest clue to who you really are Look at your sexual desires, that's you. The gospel says, yes, that's significant, or no, no, that is significant, but that's not the essence of who you are. Is this helpful? There's so much to be said on this, and there's some amazing books um, out there if you want to do a deep dive into this. So I want to finish today just with looking at just five identity markers, really. When we come back to, who am I? Yes, I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm a follower of Jesus, or I'm, maybe I'm thinking about becoming a Christian and a follower of Jesus. He has to be our foundation. But what about the rest of me? What about these parts of my life that just don't make sense And, and these spaces in our life, they need to be redeemed. They need the touch of Jesus on them. So we're just going to start with the first room, really, and we'll take it from the top because this is the, the room of our mind. This is your personality. And what is your mind and your personality? If I was to ask it this way, what does your mind and your personality say about who you are? David Riddell says this profound thing. He's full of lots of profound statements and sayings. He says, when my mind is hostile, the world seems hostile too. But when my mind becomes my friend, the whole world becomes a friendlier place. You know, the spirit of rejection sits over our nation 
almost like a stronghold. And I think it's one of the biggest issues that we have in society and that we have in church and all that sort of thing. And there's something, you know, if there's something in our lives that, that says, you know, I just want to I want to push people away. I can't get close to people because they might hurt me. That's saying so much more about you than the people that are around you. Unless you're in a really traumatic, dysfunctional situation. And often we have a king lie in our lives or in our minds that will influence throughout every aspect to the way that we think, the way that we feel, and the way that we perceive the environments around us. And, and often that king lie is something as simple as, I am unworthy of being loved. And, and because that was modeled and expressed and shown to you and reinforced to you and you engage with that lie and then that became your truth and that needs to be identified. It needs to be, you know, that lie needs to be broken in the name of Jesus and called out of you because you are worthy to be loved. You are chosen. You are beloved. The Father runs to you. But unless we can actually arrest the lie and actually look at that, and look at the way that you look at yourself, you're going to be stuck with that lie around your identity. And you have to be real. You've got to let it out. You've got to let it go. <laughs> so your personality, yourself, the essence of who you are and the essence of the way you think, you may be in a box. And the Father wants to put His hand on you and He wants to touch you and He wants to grow your understanding of yourself and give you knowledge and fit you out with rare and precious treasures in the room of your mind. The second one, what does your history say about you? What does your history say about who you are? When you look in the, in the New Testament, you open up the book of Matthew, it opens up with this genealogy of Jesus. You've got all these ancestors and it's just like well that's really interesting reading just fathers of fathers of fathers and you get even you get Rahab makes a mention in there Rahab the prostitute Jesus she was she, Jesus came through her lineage all these markers of who Jesus came through were just in brilliant revelations of this inc incredible story of reconciliation so where there's this history around our life, your history matters. Where you've come from, what you've come out of, and what you can learn from it, it all matters. You know, and, and when we think of Jesus as, as our foundation, he is, it says in, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 15, that, you are, uh, that he is the second Adam when you think of Jesus Christ. The bloodline that you came, when you come into the into relationship with Jesus Christ, you come into the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Whatever his curses have been spoken over your life, whatever, how dysfunctional, whether that be uh, like cognitive or whether that's in your DNA, Jesus breaks that. He breaks every chain. He breaks curses. He breaks soul ties. He breaks the expectation of failure and being uneducated. And he calls you in to the, to the likeness of his son. That's what the father does. Your history matters because maybe there's something you need to acknowledge that you're a victim of in your family line and say, no, not in my family, not in my home. My children are too precious or will be too precious for them to carry the same pain or the same dysfunction that, 
that I faced. So don't be defined by your history. Be defined by what Jesus says about you. We'll just keep this moving. Number three, what does your relationships and family say about you? This is interesting. Um, when you open up Genesis, we'll go to Genesis 1 again, and, and uh, God's doing something new every day for six days, and he's like, it's good, this is good, we've got land, this is good, we've got creatures, this is good, we've got sky, and we've got palm trees, and we've got, and it's good, 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 and then it's not good. It's like, oh, it's not good. It's not even a sin issue. It's the fact that man's alone. It's not good. It's just not good that Adam was hanging out by himself, and sure, he had God and all that, and that was great, but God recognized that him being alone would actually affect him negatively. It would be destructive. It would be not good for him. And this goes just beyond marriage. This is far better for people, because he's like, I want these guys to get busy and create and create community. It's not good for anyone to be isolated. So how connected or disconnected we are can say a lot about the identity that we have in regards to relating with others, a broken identity. Are you building bridges or walls? Are you just checking in, checking out? Or are you, are you woven into the fabric of this church family and of your own family? and of the lives around you? Are you prepared to just kind of do relationships? Because relationships are hard. Like in the church, it's hard to just kind of like be vulnerable at times. It's hard to actually make an effort because in our culture, we just want to like tick the box. We've done the church. We've got the thing after church. We've got the, the work tomorrow. We've got the family. We've got the commitments. We're so commitment driven, aren't we? Commitment, commitment. And, and when you look at other cultures, especially the Maori culture, is just like, oh, it's family, it's people, it's belonging, it's community, it's life together, it's this woven fabric of community, and, and, and that's what God's calling uh, us to engage with. And I just can't get my head around being an isolated Christian, a Christian that's not connected with a church family. It's what Jesus came to give his life for. He gave his life for the church. He gave his life for the 12 guys who would start the church. That's why he was here. And you can't say, well, you know, I've just got Jesus now and I'm sweet. He's like, no, actually, well, if you're just saying that, then you're actually just kind of like ignoring the fact that I gave my life so that you could have community and you could be an expression of my body, the body of Christ. This is another interesting room. What does your spirit say about your identity? What is your call, your anointing, your mantle? How does this impact on your identity? And when you think of King David, I could do a message on this because I love this one. So <laughs> how are we going for time? We're all right, eh? We're good. King David. King David is a young man. He, is, he didn't make the lineup with his brothers, but God saw a call on his life. Samuel was looking at the outside. God was looking at the heart. Right now, God's looking at your heart. He's looking at what really matters to him. He's called by God in front of his brothers. He's anointed as king. He is anointed in that moment. He hasn't killed Goliath, I don't think, in that moment. He hasn't done anything significant with his life. He's been a cowboy, killing lions and bears, you know. 
But something, something in his life, suddenly something in his life is awakened because of the call of God. There's an awakening to his assignment, and he's got to work out this assignment in the wilderness of being chased by a king and fleeing him for years, for years and years and years. He is trying to reconcile this word that was given to him by Samuel, the, the prophet, while he's, it looks like he's trying to flee from his destiny. His destiny is trying to kill him. <laughs> but God has called him. He's mantled him. He's chosen him. And I want to just remind you that the anointing and the mantle for ministry doesn't land on those who just have the microphone up the front. You are called. You are mantled. You are chosen for a, a, an assignment. You're anointed. And you've got to, you're part of who you are is connecting to the anointing that, you're carry, that you carry. Your purpose in life is not independent from the Father. And the Spirit of God is breathing and blowing like a wind on your back, pushing you into your call and your, your destiny and, your, and the fullness of your identity. And someone just needs to say, yep, I'm going to embrace that. This is me. I think that's the thing, eh? You just kind of like go, no, this, this is me. And if you don't know who you are in the Spirit, and your call and your mantle, then come and get prayer. Come and get into the prophetic. Get to the altar. Get around prophetic people. Find it out. It's really important for every believer, everyone to know who they are in Christ, what the Word says about you, but it's also to be, la you know, to be launched out and be received in the context of your life as a, a minister. Because you've got a ministry. Turn to your neighbor and just say, you've got a powerful ministry. You got power. You got power. You got fire, pure fire. <laughs> fire. So much more I could say, but we'll move on. What does your body say about you? This is the last one. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. You knew I was going to go there, right? Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. What you do with your body matters. Who you carry inside of your body is significant. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not just carrying yourself around. You're not just going to the groceries with yourself. You're not just watching a movie by yourself. You're not just driving by yourself. You're not just having conversations by yourself. You got Jesus with you. You got the Holy Ghost with you. Does the Holy Ghost want to go where you go? Does the Holy Ghost want to watch what you're watching? Does the Holy Ghost want to listen to what you're saying? Does the Holy Ghost want to listen to what you're hearing? We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And this is not just about sexual immorality, although that's the issue that Paul is addressing here, is that the way that we, you know, the, the, the sexual expression of, of ourselves is... Super important. 
and, it, and, if, and if it needs to, you know, it needs to be governed. That's the way to say it. It needs to be governed. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, handiwork, masterpiece. It says in different translations, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Those good works are the expression of our bodies. They are the expression of who we are. And that is connected to our identity. So yes, you're, you're created in the image of God. That is, that is your primary market, your primary identity market and foundation. But Jesus stands at the door and knocks of all these different rooms and aspects of our heart, of our mind, our history, our relationships, our future. You know, are you fearful about your future or do you want to just, just give that over to Jesus today and just say, no, my future is going to be marked by hope. He wants to come in and fill every dimension of our lives with His rare, beautiful, and precious treasures. That is His touch. That is to bring to life the unique you. Let's just stand in this moment.